The sermon text today is found in John chapter 21. John chapter 21, verses 15 through 25. This will be the last portion of the gospel according to John. This is the 50th sermon. Again, it's nice to come to that even number. Uh, 50th sermon. As we come to the end of the gospel of John, we've seen John testify to the Lord Jesus, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by, by believing in him, one has eternal life. And he has recounted many deeds, signs that Jesus has done, his teachings, uh, his death, the greatest sign, that of his resurrection from the dead, his appearances to his apostles. And last week we looked at how his third appearance was made in Galilee to the north when the apostle Peter and six other of the disciples were in a boat fishing. Fished all night, didn't catch anything. But when Jesus told them to put their nets on the other side of the boat, they caught 153 large fish. They knew at that point it was the Lord. And indeed it was. And they came to shore and had breakfast with him. Uh, He uh, sat down. He welcomed them. He ate with them. And now we'll pick up then in verse 15, which follows then that same day, just after breakfast, where he speaks with the apostle Peter. So let me pick up then in verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, Do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, What about this man? Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. But if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. 
Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Join with me in prayer. Dear Lord, our God, we give thanks to you for the good news of Jesus Christ, and we thank you for your grace, and we ask that you would, by your grace, uh, reveal your will and your word uh, to us to help us to understand and to perceive and to apply uh, your word, all that has been read and all that will be preached as it is in accord with your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this passage picks up after that breakfast. They had had fish, they had had bread, and after breakfast, uh, it seems, well, Jesus and Peter begin talking. Later on, John is following them, so perhaps at some point they get up and start walking. Uh, but initially, it probably starts out around that fire that they had come to, where they had eaten. And first of all, Jesus speaks to Peter and restores Peter from his stumbling at, at denying Jesus. Now he affirms three times that he loves Jesus, and Jesus uh, recommissions him once again as an apostle to confirm that, uh, that he is in that position. And then secondly, Jesus goes on to speak of Peter's martyrdom, of the way he would die. Then, thirdly, Peter asks Jesus about John. What about this man? What's going to become of him? But Jesus redirects his attention uh, to the main point, which is you, follow me. And then lastly, John concludes the gospel, um, describing that this is indeed a true testimony to Jesus Christ, but it also doesn't do justice to everything that Jesus did. Uh, Not all the books in the world uh, would do that. I want to bring out, I I just broke it down to four portions, but I'm actually going to bring out six points from this passage that we should take note of from this conclusion to the Gospel of John. The first one is that Jesus is gracious. Jesus receives and restores lost sheep. I see the, the grace of Jesus, Jesus full of grace and truth here in his attitude, in his words towards Peter. Peter is not singled out here for this discussion because he's going to get elevated over the apostles. That's a false interpretation of this passage. He's not singled out because he's going to be made a pope. No, he's singled out here because he is the one that had denied Christ three times during the trial of Christ. He's singled out so that he can be restored, that he can be reassured, that the others too might know that he had not lost his apostleship, but that he... Uh, at least, if he ever lost it, he regained it, that he is now being confirmed in that position. The fire, it matches the fire in the courtyard. One link that early on reminds us of that earlier passage, that as he had been warming himself by that fire, what is it called, a coal fire, something like that, um, that a charcoal fire, that even as he had been warming up next to the fire, as he denied Christ, so they comes to a similar fire where Jesus hosts them for a meal. 
But not only that, there's the three questions. The three questions, do you love me? Three times. Peter recognizes that there's something special at the third time, that he's grieved when Jesus asks him for the third time, do you love me? And I think what grieved him is because he too remembered the three denials that happened previously. We learn from the other Gospels that Peter wept even that night. Uh, Here again, he is reminded of that. But at the same time, he is being restored and reaffirmed as one who does indeed love the Lord Jesus. And Jesus receives him. Jesus is bringing him back. Jesus is encouraging him. Jesus is the good shepherd, and he brings back lost sheep. We have all, like sheep, gone astray, but he has brought us back as the shepherd and overseer of our souls, as Peter himself would tell others in his epistle. Jesus offers forgiveness to sinners. He calls his own by his voice, and they follow him, and he keeps them secure. No one can take them out of his hand. He had prayed for Peter that his faith would not fail, that though he had sinned grievously, that spark of life, that that life of God within him was kept from going out and would revive in time through repentance and would uh, continue to grow. And Christ uh, reaffirms him. Even though Peter had denied him three times, yet Jesus brought him back and welcomed him. And so there is forgiveness in Jesus to those who repent and who come to him. All who come to him, none shall be cast out. All who believe in him shall have eternal life. So this is to your comfort, that though you go astray, which you shouldn't, Peter understood that now, as he repented, it regretted his choices. But even when you find that you have, to not despair, but to turn to Jesus, your shepherd, and to seek his mercy and forgiveness. For he is gracious, he is forgiving, and he is a shepherd who brings back lost sheep. Secondly, love for Jesus is a mark of Christ's disciples. Love for Jesus is a mark of his disciples. What is it that Jesus asked Peter? What did he look for? Did he ask Peter, do you you have hope in me? You know, he could have picked any number of virtues, but but there was one in particular here, other descriptions that would indeed mark disciples of Christ. But here we find love, love for Jesus. He asked him, do you love me? Jesus looks for love from his disciples. He values their love. He loves his disciples. He loved us before we loved him. And he calls his disciples to love him. Love for Jesus is an essential mark of a disciple. All true disciples love Jesus. The Apostle Paul could say in 1 Corinthians 16, If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. But all Christ's disciples do have love for Jesus. The one who is forgiven 
by Christ will love Christ. The one who is forgiven much and knows that will love Christ dearly. Jesus is good. He is loving. He is altogether excellent. How could one not love him? So let us love our Lord Jesus. Love for Jesus spurs you on to good works and obedience to his commands. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you want to serve the Lord, let it be done in love. Love for Jesus upholds you against discouragement. For you're not looking primarily to others to, uh, for, for your praise or for your motivation, but because you love Jesus and Jesus is good. Love for Jesus is a sign upon which your assurance can take hold of, as it would encourage Peter that you might know that you do believe in him, for you love him. Now, some people here make a big deal out of the fact that John uses two different Greek words for love in this account, uh, agapao and phileo. I don't think, though, that we should make too much of it. I just mention it because... Uh, you probably will hear other people mention that, too. Um, I don't think there's much of a difference. That First, John uses them throughout his gospel without very much difference. Um, secondly, Peter does not contrast him. Jesus says, do you agapo me? And he says, yes, I phileo you. He's not saying, no, I love you in this way. I don't love you in that way. He's affirming. He's answering it, it yes. And then the, in the third question, Jesus switches to use the word Peter had been using, phileo. Um, but the text says that he asked Peter the third time, do you love me? It's the same question that's being asked now for a third time, even though a different Greek word for love is being used. Um, fourthly, there's other variations within the passage, stylistic variations that, are, that don't have a contrast uh, in them. Such as there's two Greek words for no. You know everything. You know that I love you. Um, or three different ways to say feed my sheep, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. Those are not contrasted. Uh, they're variations that, that you should add them to each other to fill out the meaning of the other. We might say Peter was supposed to and did have agape and philia for Jesus. He had love. Uh, for Jesus Christ. Love for Jesus is a mark of his disciples. He calls us friends, those whom he loves. We should love him in return and abide in him, the true vine. Thirdly, notice from this passage, not only is Jesus gracious, restoring, forgiving those who have fallen, but and that love is a mark then of those forgiven disciples who who treasure Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and friend, but also that Jesus cares for his sheep. He cares for his people, the people whom he died for, demonstrated his love in that way. But we see his, his care for his sheep in, in two ways in his words to Peter. First of all, we know that Jesus cares for his sheep because he calls men to shepherd them. Uh, he provides for his people uh, he provided in this case by raising up the apostles to shepherd his people, to proclaim the word, uh, to uh, shepherd the flock. But then, of course, we know later on, others will be raised up to, uh, to preach the word, to exercise oversight over the flock. 
And that work continues. Jesus cares for his sheep and he provides shepherds for his sheep. Even though he ascended into heaven, he, he brings other humans to care for his sheep. But secondly, Jesus shows his love for his sheep by exhorting Peter and all church shepherds to show their love for him by tending his sheep. How do you show love for Christ, Peter? Peter, you should feed my sheep. That's how you show love for me. I love my sheep so dearly. If you love me, you will feed my sheep. That shows how much Jesus loves his sheep. They are dear to him. They're like the apple of his eye. And so those who love him will love them. And in Peter's office, that meant shepherding them. All church shepherds should show their love for Christ by feeding and tending Christ's lambs and sheep. Even if the work is difficult, they should look to Christ and, to, and their love for him as their motive. Whether or not the sheep are supportive or not, Jesus is the one who has called them to this task. And out of love for him, the work is done. Preaching elders and ruling elders joined together in this work of shepherding that was given to Peter. That's one reason we've read 1 Peter chapter 5, because Peter, who is told to shepherd the flock, then tells others, other fellow elders even. He calls himself a fellow elder, not as the lordly pope that's so much different from all the rest, but as a fellow elder to shepherd the flock, to carry on this work. He's unique as an apostle. Who's, who's proclaiming God's word to lay a foundation for the church, but as a sh- shepherd, that work continues in the elders of his church today. Let all elders shepherd out of a love for Jesus. Do you love me? Is a question that each elder should reflect upon, both for motivation and encouragement. Fourthly, we find in this passage that Jesus calls us to follow him, even unto death. Peter swerved in the day of pressure and temptation when the trial was upon him, when Christ was being despised by those who were powerful, that he distanced himself from from Jesus. I don't know the guy. I don't know him. Oh, I'm pretty sure you do. You have the same accent. You're a Galilean, aren't you? No, that's not me. He didn't want to be killed like Jesus was being killed. He had swerved from his path even after boasting of his loyalty. But he would be given another time to show his faith and his devotion even unto death. Jesus goes on to explain to Peter how he would die. Not everyone gets that uh, information, but uh, he did give it to Peter, probably to encourage him in this way that he would be restored and that he would have trials yet to come in which he would be tested and proven. He would confess Christ before men and honor God by his death. His hands would be spread out, uh, a phrase that is quite picked up early on in commentators is one that's also used for crucifixion, referring even John himself saying that this referred to the kind of death, not simply that he would die, but the kind of death that he would die. And so I think those reports in church history that Peter was crucified are are quite reliable. 
That this, this is what Jesus is talking about. I don't know if he was crucified upside down, as those uh, accounts also describe. But that he was crucified does seem to match what, what uh, Jesus is speaking of. In any case, that he would die and honor God by his death. A death that he would not want to die. He would not want this death, but other people would bring him to it. Peter refers to this in Second Peter as well, that he knew that the putting off of his body would be soon, even as the Lord had revealed to him, uh, that he remembered this prophecy and so left that letter to exhort, even in his absence then, the church to remember the things he had delivered to them. But he would follow his Lord, and he would follow him even unto martyrdom. He would not want to die. He would still want to live. Martyrs are not those who just love death and run to it heedlessly, but they love Jesus more than they love life. And that is what should describe all of us, even if we're never put to that test, that we're willing to deny ourselves, take up the cross, and to follow our Lord Jesus, to lose our life, to follow him, even so that we might gain it, trusting that in him we have life and life everlasting. So Jesus calls all his disciples, like Peter, to love him more than life itself, that they might gain it in Christ. Third, uh, fifthly, Jesus suppresses unhealthy curiosity about others and calls each of us back to our own calling. Lord, what about this man? Peter looks behind him and sees John following them. And then, well, what about, what about this guy? What about this man? What, what's what's going to happen to him? Having heard of his own death, Peter wonders about John's. But Jesus redirects him from this curiosity to his own responsibility. The last words of Jesus in this narrative recounted by John is, You follow me. This can apply to various unhealthy speculations or curiosities where Christ has not thought it profitable to inform us. Uh, 1 Timothy talks about unprofitable discussions and controversies that uh, are not beneficial or useful and are not sound doctrine, things that have been revealed by God's word. It is good to seek to learn, to understand, to investigate, but you must not lose sight of the main things and the usefulness of the doctrine. What is the aim of our charge? What is the, the point? What is the goal? It's love that issues from a pure heart and a sincere faith and a clear conscience. What Jesus told Peter was useful for him. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Follow me. There's going to be a day where people are going to take you where you don't want to go. Uh, but and be ready. Follow me. Apparently what... Uh, and, and so Jesus ends on that note, directing him back to what he had said about his own story, about his own calling, that he be sure to follow Jesus. And that is good for you to remember as well. Apparently what Jesus had said had been later misunderstood by the church. Has that ever happened? Has Jesus ever said something that people misunderstood? That happens uh, a, a bit, right, in church history. We always have to make sure that we are understanding Christ's words correctly. And, and John did that here to, to correct the words 
uh, to correct the understandings of the words, because Jesus had told Peter, if it's my will that, that John live until I come, in other words, until I return, what is that to you? In other words, is, is this profitable knowledge? Is what, what, what profit would there be in this knowledge? But it was a hypothetical. He wasn't saying that, Jesus, that John would remain until Christ returns. Uh, he was saying, what if? If it is my will, what is that to you? But apparently some people thought that that meant John would not die, that he would just live until the end of the age. And John's saying, no, that's not, that's not what Jesus said. By all accounts, John did live a long time. Uh, John seems to have been the apostle, as far as we know, that maybe lived the longest of the apostles, certainly longer than Peter, by all accounts. And that probably gave some fuel to this understanding. Uh, we, because he lived longer, we have more reliable accounts of his later life compared to the other apostles. Best we can tell, he lived in Ephesus until AD 95. And there's people we have writings of who saw John, uh, who, who are said to at least to have studied under him. But Jesus had not said that John would never die and that he would remain until the second coming. That, it was a misunderstanding. Jesus had used that as a hypothetical to redirect Peter. And so John redirects the church as well uh, to remember the important point. You follow Jesus. The last point here, the sixth point, is that this is the true testimony about Jesus. Although not all the... If, if everything... If we really tried to do justice to all that Jesus said and did, the books would f- not even fit in the world. Uh, there's maybe a little hyperbole. Don't, don't think too scientifically or literally about it. But, um, but it's true. Uh, Jesus, what he did, not only did he do more things described in the gospel, but to really do justice to all that he did, to describe it in words, that's not what John was trying to do. He wasn't trying to say everything that could be said about what Jesus did. But what he did say, he said, so that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and therefore have life by believing in his name. So that you would be encouraged to follow Jesus to the rest of your days, even unto death in the hope of the resurrection. That is why he wrote these things. And his testimony is true. And that is the important point. Because if it wasn't true, then you wouldn't be able to rest your faith in it. But rather, his testimony is true. He witnessed it. He was there. He saw. He touched. He heard. And he proclaims this to you so that you might be a partner with him in this great salvation. Have fellowship along with John, with the Father and the Son in the Holy Spirit. This passage is where the identification of the author is made. This disciple whom Jesus loved, the one who had been uh, at the Last Supper described in that way, and who had been in the boat fishing, and had been at the cross, all these key points in Christ's story, um, whom we can kind of deduce is, is the Apostle John in particular, as the title of the book indicates as well. This is the one who wrote the book. He, he has been writing uh, these things. He's, he's the one bearing witness. He's been wear, bearing witness to Christ through this book. 
the Apostle John had been with Jesus all the way, had witnessed his deeds, his teachings, his death, his resurrection, now testified to the world until the end of the age that sinners might believe in Jesus and receive eternal life in him. And though he dead, yet he still speaks. And not only John knew it, but the church knew it. Notice there's, it switches back and forth between I and we. I suppose that the world itself cannot contain. You know, this is the disciple who has written these things. But it also says, and we know his testimony is true. I think John is still writing that, but he's saying not only me, but me and all of us. The we, the church, the apostles. We know this testimony is true. I didn't just make it up. You can ask others as well. You know, this is what the apostles have proclaimed. This is what the church therefore has confessed. Uh, This testimony is true. And so we might trust it and place our faith in Christ. It was affirmed by many witnesses. This is the gospel. But like I said, it is selective. He did not write everything that could be said. The books, his, books, his book did not do justice to everything Jesus did. If an attempt was made to, to do justice to everything as Jesus did, the world could not contain the books. What Jesus did gives us ample material for meditation and for praise for all this life, for all eternity. So Jesus came. He's the eternal word who took on flesh so that we might know the true God and his Son, Jesus Christ, that in him we might have grace, grace upon grace, grace and truth, and have in him eternal life. He is the good shepherd who is calling out, even today, to bring the sheep to him, that they might follow him and no one take him out of his hands. He is a called Uh, The apostles, he called other shepherds to proclaim this same word, to shepherd his flock. And they and everyone is called to believe in him, to love him, to follow him, even to the end. To our Lord Jesus Christ with the Father and the Holy Spirit be all glory and honor, both now and forever. Amen. Join with me in prayer. Lord Jesus, we give thanks to you for your kindness and mercy in receiving us who have sinned against you, who have been ungrateful creatures, and yet you have had mercy in bringing life uh, to us through your own suffering and death. We ask that you would stir up in us greater love, that we might indeed delight in you and with joy and eagerness follow you and serve you in all we say and do. We pray that you would bring salvation to our our friends or relatives or neighbors or loved ones who do not yet have this faith, and that you would work true faith and love in all your church, and that you would draw all people to yourself. Amen.